if I don't do one of these shows, it's not because there's nothing to talk about. It's because there's so much going on that I'm doing other things and life is crazy and I just haven't gotten to actually sit down and collect my thoughts and try to talk about something. Right now, I could do, I feel, I could do an entire show on Ben and Jerry's for sure. I could do half a show on Simone Biles pulling out of the Olympics. Um, There's at least one or two other stories. Oh, the latest Kavanaugh thing. That would be a nice filler for the other half of that. Um, But what I want to talk about today is My Unorthodox Life, the new Netflix series, which really I could have done a show on about two weeks ago. But here we are. And maybe that's a lesson to me to make sure I get around to it and do them more often because (laughs) there is really so much to talk about. And it's worth, you know, these are going to be worth a couple of op-eds by the time I'm done. Um, But I don't think this is going to be an op-ed. This is just going to be the rant. And we're going to leave it out there for you. Um, Because I want to talk about Julia Hart and her show, My Unorthodox Life. It's always, you know, you can't judge a particular individual's personal story, personal pain, whatever they went through. That's one thing. But when they start talking about a community, it's entirely different. Are they depicting that community accurately or not? And here you have Netflix doing an entire series called My Unorthodox Life, which purports to describe the Orthodox community from which she comes, where she claims it was fundamentalist and she was repressed and she wasn't able to be who she wanted to be. My comment about this when I read the first article about this piece and hadn't seen even the trailer said the average Hollywood depiction of Orthodox Jews is intended to inculcate anti-Semitic bias. Everything you've seen since about this show shows how right I was. I mean, and I said that not just obviously because of this show, but because there's a consistent pattern coming out of Hollywood when they want to talk about Orthodox Jews. You want to look at the reality of who we are? Go look at after the Surfside collapse, how Orthodox Jewish rescue organizations were involved in pulling apart the wreckage and how the local Chabad synagogue was involved in in helping the rescuers and providing support for the families. I mean, that's the reality of who the Orthodox community is. But that's not what you're going to see in any fictional portrayal. I mean, just a few months ago, We had this absolutely ridiculous show out of Canada that was rebroadcast here in America where this Orthodox Jew refused to have a transplant of an organ from a non-Jewish person. Absolute fiction. It never happened. It never would happen. It's completely against halacha, uh, Jewish law. It's just, you know, they, they don't care what the reality is. And guess what? My unorthodox life, the purported life of Julia Hart, at least when it describes her past, is legitimately no better at all. Other women have come forward who attended the same school that she did, the base Yaakov of Muncie. She claimed that she got no education. In reality, 
The Beis Yaakov of Muncie offers a truly rigorous dual curriculum of Judaic and secular studies, including AP courses for college credit. That's right. She claimed to have gotten no education from a school that in reality was offering AP courses for college credit. She claimed that she got no education. Well, guess what? The average regents score of a student in that school, the New York State, has standardized testing to separate the women from the girls. And the girls in Beis Yaakov of Munzee outperform the state by a wide margin. So much for getting no education. And as far as being repressed and not having her creative side uh, able to express herself, she was the dance lead. It's in the yearbook. They have photos from her yearbook. She was the dance lead for their school performance. So this idea that she was repressed, that she didn't get an education, that it was fundamentalist, all of this stuff is completely thrown out the window. She claimed that the girls couldn't ride bikes. There's pictures of girls from that school participating in a bike rally. I mean, the the stuff that is described about the community from which she comes is entirely fictional, which means that the people are telling you, oh, this is a great show, great depiction of the Orthodox community. They're divided into two categories, people who know absolutely nothing about the actual Orthodox community, and now they're getting this anti-Semitic bias fed into them and they're believing it. And the other category are people who actively support this mendacity. They support lying about the Orthodox community because they're already filled with anti-Semitic bias. Those are your two options. There's nobody who's well-informed and not biased against the Orthodox community telling you this is a great show because it's simply not because it's simply not depicting the community accurately. And obviously, you hear this from me, a man, a rabbi. Oh, yeah, you're part of the, uh, the repressive class. Good. Go to myorthodoxlife.net. You see, a bunch of Orthodox women started a new hashtag called My Orthodox Life. I think it started on Twitter or Facebook. It expanded. It's gone to LinkedIn. And now there's a website collecting the experiences of Orthodox women actually talking about their own lives and what Netflix didn't tell you. I'm going to read you the two most recent posts on My Orthodox Life blog. Zlati Klein. Hey, Netflix. My name is Zlati Klein. I am a wife to a supportive husband. I am a mom to five beautiful children. I am the daughter of an amazing, supportive, ultra-Orthodox father. I got a detour for a moment. Ultra-Orthodox itself is a pejorative. Ultra about any human being is extremist, far out. When you talk about an inanimate object, ultra can be a type of praise ultra-fine, ultra-sharp, ultra-strength. That's all well and good. You talk about an ultra-person, you're talking about an extremist. Nobody wants to be ultra-left or ultra-right. When you talk about ultra-religion, you're talking Osama bin Laden. So even the fact that she says ultra-Orthodox tells you how much bias there is in the media. Because in in an era when we let human beings describe themselves and it's considered racist to impose names on people, 
For example, we call people Native American, not American Indian, because it was never accurate and it was used as a pejorative description. So thus, again, Native American. Ultra-Orthodox is a, the type of pejorative that you would not hear about anybody else except about observant Jews. So that right there, the fact that she fell into that trap, I want to sidestep that. I want to continue reading what she had to say, but she should have said Haredi. If you don't know that Haredi means traditional Orthodox, you're going to learn the same way people learn what Chabad means or what Inuit means. Because, again, Eskimo was a name that was imposed upon native northern Canadians from the outside. Anyway, I'm the daughter of an amazing, supportive Haredi father. I'm the sister to two extremely supportive brothers and lots of professional sisters. I am a senior vice president of human resources for a successful healthcare company. I am a base Yaakov of Muncie graduate. Now, she says that she graduated from the same school that Julia Hart, nay Talia Labov, claims provided her with no education. I was born, she says, this is again Zlati Klein, I was born into an Orthodox Jewish family. I have seen all the life paths the world has to offer. I choose Orthodox Judaism any day. That's what she says. That's her experience. That's her Orthodox life. Raquel Hollander, the next one. I usually don't share my personal life on LinkedIn, but I'm hoping to share how we Orthodox Jews are not held back by our community. And she's speaking again specifically as a woman. I am married to a wonderful and supportive husband. I am a mother to three beautiful girls. I completed my Master's of Social Work with honors at 22 years old. I was on a professional swim team for 12 years and was the captain for four of them. I work as a licensed social worker at Trinitas Regional Medical Center, where I had the opportunity to practice during the height of COVID. Yes, there were guidelines as an Orthodox Jew, such as modesty and keeping Shabbos, the Sabbath. However, that never stopped me from pursuing my dreams. I am proud to be a successful Orthodox Jew my Orthodox life. See, here you're getting a picture of the reality of the Orthodox community as compared with the poison that you get on Netflix. Besides these individual experiences of women coming forward, it is worth exploring where these lies come from. Because it's simply, for a lot of people, you, you just have no picture of what the Orthodox community is actually like or actually about, and therefore you, you learn one or two facts and therefore conclude, oh, it must be repressive, it must be limiting. Especially, I, like, I, I saw this piece by an Orthodox feminist who said that the women's experience in Judaism is inherently negative because, you see, women are exempted from time-bound positive commandments. They're obligated in the negative commandments. So you see that their Judaism is negative. Big problem with that. Everybody, according to her, has a negative experience in Judaism because Judaism has vastly more negative commandments than it has positive ones. And a lot of the positive ones are limited to certain categories of people. Only priests have certain positive commandments, and they also have only certain negative commandments also. But in any case, 
You have limitations that only apply to the priest. The king and the king alone has a special commandment to write a Torah scroll containing the entire five books of Moses. So there you have a commandment that only the king can fulfill. One thing you start to figure out is it's not possible, literally, for one person to fulfill all the 613 commandments. It, when, it, when the Torah says that you take upon yourself to fulfill and to establish all the Torah, it doesn't mean that you personally are going to do all 613 commandments. It's literally not possible. There are certain things that only women can do. There are certain things that customarily women do. There are certain things that only men can do. There are certain things only the priest can do. There are things only the king can do. And since the king and the high priest cannot be the same person, you're obviously in a situation where everybody's got um, limitations on what they can do and everybody has more negatives than positives. That's absolutely universal. And if you look at it, Every civilized society is filled with a lot more negatives than positives. All this, the regulations about driving and speeding, it's filled with what you're supposed to not do. Yeah, there's one thing. You're supposed to drive on the right-hand side of the road. You're supposed to keep moving at a normal speed. You're not supposed to block the road, for example. But that is, you know, the number of positives compared to the number of negatives, it's like the molehill to the mountain. The mountain is all those things you're not allowed to do. You're not allowed to speed. You're not allowed to drive on the left-hand side. You're not allowed to drive without a license. You're not allowed to drive under the influence. You're not allowed to drive while smoking drugs. You know, just by the way, just try to remember and keep track of all these things. Judaism is, of course, a very positive experience, and that is not based on the negatives versus the positives. And that includes for women. If you look at the whole picture Judaism, Judaism should not be getting criticized by modern Western society. And I'm going to give you three examples. Number one, dating. In the Orthodox community, dating is something that is undertaken with marriage in mind. It has a purpose. It has a definite objective and goal of a couple building a life together. And why is that a good thing? Because it, do, it means that women are not pressured into doing certain things to keep a boyfriend that they might otherwise not be ready to do or not wish to do. In our circles, at least to my knowledge, there has never been a girl coming back from a date having been assaulted. Never heard of that. I'm sure somewhere out there, the exception that proves the rule. But in general... Boys are educated in how to conduct themselves with decorum and with respect and with a particular objective in mind. Not just, do I want to hang out with this girl, but do I want to spend the rest of my life building a family with this girl? Okay, that leads to number two, which is marriage itself. The incredibly low rate of divorce in the Orthodox community is not just because of some sort of social or societal pressure to avoid it. It's because there is a lot of effort to build a marriage. Everybody goes into marriage 
perhaps unlike what goes on in modern Western circles where people hang out as boyfriend and girlfriend for years before they get married, so they already think they know what they're getting into, in the Orthodox circles, it's just the opposite. The amount that the couple see each other before marriage is much more limited. They know that they're getting into marriage to build a relationship. Yeah, there's a spark. Obviously, there was a spark or they wouldn't have decided to marry each other. But it's a building process and they know that they have to build it. And throughout marriage, you have to continue working to build that marriage. I just, you know, you look around and you see that people have successful marriages and successful relationships. And by the way, part of that is we have a shared objective again. Remember that the, the dating itself has an objective of getting married. Marriage itself also has an objective. It's not just about sharing your life with somebody. It's about being fruitful and multiplying. It's about that next Jewish generation. It's about raising children together. So a spouse isn't just someone you enjoy spending time with. The spouse is your partner in bringing a new Jewish person into the world and raising that person, and hopefully several of them, right? So that's what, you know, the, the idea of marriage is, is different. And built into that, by the way, is much more value on being a mother. Being a mother is considered a wonderful honor. And if you look at the community, it's seriously like there was a, uh, a picture taken recently. A woman who survived the Holocaust. She's a Satmar Chosid. She gathered at the Western Wall. She passed away just, just recently. I, I don't think it was COVID related, but it was over the last year and a half. She gathered at the Western Wall for her 100th birthday with four hundred descendants. Just the idea that she was mother to such an extended family, that she was the matriarch of that extended family, she deserves huge honors for that. And anybody realizes that this is what's weird, is that I'm sure that any person who is not observant, who is listening to this, is going, wow, that's amazing. What an incredible person. What was incredible? The, the incredible thing is that she raised a large family of people who wanted to go out and have large families of their own and who the grandchildren wanted to have large families of their own because that's how you end up with a family of 400 descendants at the age of 100. Number three, and I, I, I just got to mention this, the Western world has a new term which I do not recall from my childhood before I became religious. I think this is only within the last decade or two. Body shaming. Making women feel embarrassed that they're not as thin as society wants them to be, which is especially true for anybody who's in media. Women who are broadcasters, women who are uh, public figures, especially women who are entertainers. All of a sudden, they have to be, they have to follow a certain body style. You know, women dress in the Orthodox community, you can't really tell too much about their figure, and that's the way it is supposed to be. I mean, it's, I'm saying, when I say it's supposed to be, I mean to say it's intentionally done that way. 
You're not trying to make women show off their bodies to attract a man. That's not how it's done. And because that's not how it's done, women, regardless of, you know, this one's a little heavier, this one's a little lighter, it is not the same. I'm not claiming, I'm not claiming that it's not a factor. Every woman likes to look beautiful. More so than than men, by the way. And this is something that Western society also, they just cannot deal with the idea that men and women are fundamentally different in certain ways. Women do like to be pretty. It's something that they, I mean, I have four daughters and they're not being chased by men because of the culture we live in. And yet they want to look pretty. They do. So, of course, that comes with, you know, they all want to be that size zero or whatever it is. But at the same time, there isn't that external pressure and it's not based on guys. So the whole thing is a very different story. Bottom line, orthodox life for men and for women. It's not that we have something to apologize. It's not that Western society has something to teach us. There's actually an awful lot that so-called modern people ought to be learning from orthodox society if they actually wanted a society where there were better relationships between men and women, where women felt more respected for who they are and not for trying to fit into society's mold. Isn't that interesting? It's part of that upside-down world we keep talking about. Inverted Planet is generously sponsored by the Stitzer family in the memory of Carl and Rita Stitzer. If you enjoyed listening, please be sure you've subscribed. This podcast is available on all major platforms and all popular Android and iPhone podcast apps. And be sure to spread the word by giving us a five-star rating and telling your friends about the Inverted Planet podcast. Thanks for listening.